What's up, everybody? Uh, today's episode six of the Dropcast. Um, on this episode, we're going to be with one of our film mentors and uh, old WCC instructors, Garrett Sammons. He's a YouTuber and a really good all-around film guy. And Filmmaking guru, if you will. Yeah, he teaches us a lot of stuff, and I can let Trey touch on that. Yeah. Um, Garrett is huge mentor of ours um i look up to him for or look to him for a lot of our questions and what have you um he's really i would owe it a lot to where i'm at today because of him um we met in his uh cinematography classes um not you and i but like the whole like community Mm -hmm. i mean he really brought like the whole wcc like film team together if you will um and just uh I don't know. Showing me the ropes, man. This guy is a film guru, like I said, and just uh, a beast behind the camera and really knowledgeable. Um, But the reason why he's not sitting here today is because our lovely Zoom decided to not record the first minute of it. So like the first two minutes. Yeah, we're we're just here doing the little intro right now um, just to get you guys caught up to speed. But basically, we did this little intro and then we were just talking about WCC and how we got our start. But Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to give him a little <clears throat> background of this episode. It's interesting, too, because there's just a, like a little bit of Garrett in both of us. You know, he taught Trey a lot of the ropes with the camera, and he also taught me a lot of the ropes with the business aspect. So um, this is a good podcast if you guys want to tune in. Yeah, and Zoom, if you're watching this, can you... Uh, What's up, bro? Podcast, pod track P4, man. What what happened there? It says it was, it's recording, and then it doesn't. Yeah, um, I, we... Yeah, I have no idea how to explain that. It was one minute in. I didn't, yeah. didn't touch record or anything. So, But beyond that, when this podcast gets started in about 10 seconds here, we're going to be talking about how we didn't really learn a whole lot in film until we got plopped into Garrett's classes. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah, let's jump into it and bow, bow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're trying to fix that over there. Um, wow. Okay, so I met you guys... Pretty early on then. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, 20, 2016. Oh. Something like that. 15, oh, okay. 16. Nice. Um, but yeah, Garrett was one of the people that really helped me understand a lot that was going on around me when it came to the film community because not only did I not necessarily know a lot, especially even though I took a couple of those intro classes, um, things were really intimidating at first. And I think he did a really good job of smoothing things out and just being like, you're missing a few important things that you should learn about. One, how to expose an image <laughs> properly. <laughs> Which is unfortunate that you have to get to like a 200 level class in order to learn that. But yeah, mm-hmm. no, it's, you know, this is one of those things that like filmmaking is the most expensive hobby that mm-hmm. you could be in, but mm-hmm. like a pretty lucrative career if you want to do it for money. So I, like anytime I have students that are like, yeah, I'm thinking about getting into this. For the amount of money that it's going to take to get into this, mm-hmm. I can show you other hobbies. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. like, like, it doesn't make sense. Uh, like, and that's what like I think is really cool. Like, the filmmaking community talks a lot of crap on like the new iPhone with cinematic mode and like all this stuff and whatever. And it's like it's a tool that's not going to replace what we're doing. Mm-hmm. But for the it's people, still a tool. In it, itself. It's, it's still a tool. And like for people who want to kind of get in it, but not full send the way that you have to mm-hmm. that kind of stuff is perfect for that yeah yeah 
actually going to move this over again. Oh, I might be fully like... A little minor adjustments here. All right, is that better? And I'm actually yeah. going to tilt it a little bit so I can actually like look at you guys and yeah. talk at the same time. We, we might go. keep that in. We might cut it. Who knows? Probably will. Is that? There was a lot of horrible noises. So <laughs> we should cut it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, but to go back in, Garrett, you were talking about um, what? Just like that. Expensive iPhone yeah. photography, and just like to piggyback off of that, like real quick, like the the gear trap that so many filmmakers fall into is. A real thing and I mean it's a consumer mindset and I mean everyone has it in any field you know but just the everything's always going to be progressing and getting better and like people just like constantly want to be wanting to get the hottest and best new thing but like like you're saying with an iPhone you can still get the fundamentals down of like what you're looking right. to achieve in video making or at least get the starting blocks of what you if you like it or not you know yeah and the, and the turnover for gear is so high it's like Two or three times a year. Oh, like, absolutely. Yeah, and new yeah. stuff is Four coming out. Four months, if right. that, yeah. So it's like, so it's, if, if you're in it for the gear, you're going to have a very expensive and very bad time. Mm-hmm. But it's like, if you start small and then upgrade when you outgrow wherever you're at, like, I don't think anybody, and I say this from my ivory tower of white privilege, I don't think that anybody should have to go into the red for gear. Like, I think that if you structure your business and how you approach the world of filmmaking, you can use the tools that you have on hand or borrow the tools from, you know, whoever or whatever, and then work your way up to where your business is the one that's then investing in the gear. Ideally. I mean, that's in a perfect world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, always that's, a, that's a huge point that you bring up, too, and, like... You, I think, were probably the first one that told me that is like writing your gear into budgets and like charging clients for your gear because that gear didn't just plop into your lap. Yeah, and if you did, some it might. If you didn't have it, you'd have to rent it. Exactly. And so either way, the client's going to have to pay for it. And since you invested in the gear, you should get paid for that investment. And I remember you telling us that in class too, when you were like, this gear should be paid off in a year. And if you didn't, or some, was it a year? Yep. You're like, and if you didn't, then don't necessarily think of it as a loss, but it's basically a loss. Yeah. You're yeah. taking an L on that for sure. Mm-hmm. And that should contextualize what you're buying and how expensive the camera is that you're buying. Because the best time to buy a camera is never. Because like you're saying, there's, there's going to be a new camera that comes out within months of whenever you buy one. So if you're trying to get something that's like the best of the best, enjoy it for three months or just rent, you know, like, but if the goal is to use a tool to make money at what we do Mm -hmm. and that investment should then bring dividends, you should figure out how much money you're making, how long that's going to take you to pay off the thing. And then that's what you should go after. Yeah. It's your production fee. It's also a determinant in like what category of film or photography that you're into because like if you're doing just like youtube videos or something like it doesn't make sense for you to pull the trigger on an alexa full package you know sure. so like unless you're will smith's you, youtube channel yeah exactly <laughs> but yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah just the <laughs> the importance of like what you're like there's a per use case for all types of gear and like there's a overkill if you will in so many categories that oh yeah like I, and my students ask a lot, you know, like, what camera should I get? It's like, well, what do you want to do? There is no one camera 
that's going to do everything that you want. Like even like you take an industry standard camera like an Alexa, right? So you take the Alexa Mini LF would be a dog shit camera to shoot weddings with. <laughs> right. Like that like that is not the camera <laughs> to go to do live event stuff. Like mm -hmm. that's like that's not what that camera. That's a production camera. In the same way that you wouldn't take a broadcast camera and try to make that work for filmmaking. Like that's there are such different tools for different things. And that goes there's like there's two really weird sub camps within like the world of internet filmmakers where there's one, which they're just gatekeepers where it's like, if you're not shooting with an Alexa, mm -hmm. you're an idiot mm -hmm. and you're not a real filmmaker. Like that's like one half. And then like the other half going to what you were talking about was like, there's this like weird consumerism YouTube thing of like, this is the newest, whatever. If you want to be a filmmaker, this gear is going to get you there. You're going to be better for it. If you have gear. And I think, too, one of the things that you also pointed out to us very early on was, like, your film is only as good as your storytelling and, like, is only as good as your shot variety and only as good as, like, how you know how to use that camera. Because a lot of people just think, like, oh, I have a properly exposed image. I can put it in some slow-mo, get some lens flares, and people are like, oh, filmmaking, you know? I'm so sick of slow motion. For yeah. That, for that reason. Mm -hmm. Like, most people use slow-mo. I was just talking to uh, Sam and Lewis about this earlier. Um on most of like the filmmaking blogs and forums and subreddits and whatever, people always post like still frames of their projects, but never actually post the project. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's like, I can take some of the work that the I've frames done. frames just look so good. <laughs> I, I can take some of the work that I've done that's awful and find a frame that works, but like you're just a photographer that has overkill gear. Mm -hmm. Like you're spending way <laughs> too much money to get a photo where it's like, what we should be focusing on is like intentionally moving the camera, how we lens the camera, where do we place the camera? How we does that boom contribute? up, boom left, exactly. boom down. Yeah. Yeah. Just, <laughs> can we just get a pan up? Like, yeah. But like getting all of that and thinking about the camera just as a part of the way that we tell a story, you're never going to get a camera that's going to make you a better filmmaker. Mm -hmm. That doesn't exist. Yeah. Right. Even when you take like an industry standard camera, like, the Mini, right? The Alexa Mini, nine times out of 10, if you're on a big shoot, that's the camera. Nobody's even questioning what camera you're bringing. That camera also looks so good because there is that whole team behind it. Like right. you take a Mini and you go shoot it in your house, it's gonna, you can if compare I, the camera that's shooting right here yeah. side by side and they'll look pretty identical to like the naked eye. Not to mention on social and stuff too. There's but like, I could hand you, when you guys were in 105, if I handed you an Alexa, you would not make... I would make, want to touch it. You would, but you wouldn't make anything that looked good. Yeah, you wouldn't be making the next Stranger Things or Christian. It Christmas wouldn't happen. Like, yeah. Right? And if that was the case, we'd all just you know put a second mortgage on our house and go get them, and then we'd all be doing that. And it's like, mm -hmm. that's not real life. Mm -hmm. And I think, too, a perfect example of this is Trey. Like We took... You're red, your Komodo, which by the way, it looks amazing. And Love we shot that, that whole entire sport Porsche spec ad and it looked great. It's amazing. But there was still like a thing where it's like, oh, I wish we would have gotten just like a little bit more nature or a little bit more this or that. And it's like, you know, that was kind of something that fell into the constraints of the day. But at the same time, it's like, you know, those are crucial storytelling things. Of course, also adapting and moving around it and through it is also part of filmmaking. But at the same time, it's just a perfect example of like even the best camera, you can still like miss crucial little things. Yeah. For every dollar that you would spend on gear, if you traded every dollar for a minute spent in pre-production, you'd make a better film. Yeah. 
I totally agree. Say but that without, again. For every that? dollar that you would spend on gear thinking that's going to make you a better filmmaker, mm -hmm. if you just put that in, every dollar is a minute in pre-pro, whatever project you're working on is going to be infinitely better yeah. for having pre-pro than for trying to have something that's the best thing that's out right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go and put 1,200 minutes into pre-production rather than $1,200 into a Alexa mini package. You would have an incredible short because everything would be thought out. Your lighting would be thought out. Your camera angles would be thought out. Like, Granted, time versus money is blends oh, together, it, but it, is a thing. Right, right. <laughs> and it's like even with that Porsche thing, we had a lot of pre-production, but there's always still little things that you're like, uh-oh, you know? Right, mm -hmm. right. The, the things you can't control. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I heard a great quote today by someone I was talking on the phone with today, and they said, in filmmaking, or like, as a kid, I always wanted to be a fireman, uh, but today I didn't know, the, or sorry, what is it? Growing up, I always wanted to be a firefighter, but um, little did I know I am a firefighter just in the video world. I'm butchering it. That's not it. But basically, he wanted to put make the point that he just puts out fires all day. Yeah. In a sense. So there must be a producer. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I got the vibe. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's what I do all the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just I, butch I wish I remember that quote better, though, because it was it, it rang. <laughs> yeah. It's all right. I, I butcher every quote I, I make. So and I always it's funny, too, because I always have like this imposter syndrome calling myself a producer because it's like I'm not actually like in Hollywood like what would be considered a producer because I'm not like dumping all my money into everything and like really making it happen. But even still, just like the day-to-day -day secretary work, it's like it's putting out fires left and right. I mean, to, to, to tie in both of those comments about butchering somebody else's quote and then going into that, James Cameron gave an interview. He's a fascinating guy, but he gave an interview where he talks about hating the word aspiring. Like, the word aspiring, especially in what we do, is so stupid. It's mm -hmm. like if, if you have shot something, you are a cinematographer. You don't even have to get paid to do it. Are you shooting? Then mm -hmm. you're a cinematographer. Mm -hmm. Now we just have to negotiate rates, mm -hmm. right? Go from free work to paid work and, and so on and so forth. But like, I'm an aspiring writer. Well, have you never written? Like, yeah. is it a thought? You're aspiring to write. Like, yeah, go like, write. Go write. And then yeah. you're a writer who, like, and then work towards, you know, writing something that's better. I mean, the thing is, is that your first film is always going to suck. Your second film is always going to suck. Mm -hmm. Your third film is always going to suck. And it's like, the, every, you just progressively suck less <laughs> until you get to a point to where what you're doing is something that you like. But like, if you never make the jump to do the thing, and you're always living in this world of like, well, I want to be this thing or maybe. whatever. Maybe like someday it's like mm -hmm. you're wasting your own time. And sure, mean, that goes with everything too. Like just any sort of aspect or creative outlet, I would say. Like I think about that a lot. I would say it's just like go out and do it. You know, so it's remember, always going to be a thought or in your head unless you. Yeah. Yeah, like because you, I was a huge advocate of like just wait. Like we're like ninety percent there. You know what I mean? If we can get to that ninety nine percent of like perfection, like this will be a perfect pitch or this or that. And I remember you would always get on me because you'd be like, John, I feel like if we're just going waiting until we get to that ninety nine percent, like somebody at seventy percent is gonna jump and we're not gonna jump with them, and then we're gonna miss it. And I was just like, all right, you're right. Let's like go, yeah. go, go. You know. So it's the same thing. One of those other dumb platitudes that like still works though is like eighty percent of something is better than a hundred percent of nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where it's like especially in what we're doing, it's like we can obsess about three frames of an edit that we're the only people that are going to see those three frames. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and that's one of the things that I love about my wife is that like 
she's so not in this world that she's like a blank canvas that I'll show her something. And if she's it stands like, out, great. Yeah. If it stands out to her, I'm like, okay, I know we definitely need to fix that. Yeah. But like, if she's like, yeah, it's perfect. I was like, great. Okay. So those six frames that I've spent the last four hours on <laughs> don't matter. Yeah. It's like the importance of focus grouping too. Cause you got to remember every filmmaker is always going to find an excuse to pick apart your shit. But oh, like absolutely. the common eye who you're selling to or who the client's selling to, it's, they're not, you know, they're not going to really catch a lot of the stuff. One of my, for, to that point, one of my first mentors in this world, because most of what I do obviously is like commercial. Like mm-hmm. I like to do creative stuff when I can, but that's so far and few between, you know, well, they need compared money. to what I do. Well, of course. Um, but his, his, he had this whole thing of like, I will leave one glaring mistake in a first draft edit that I give to a client <laughs> because every client wants to have something to critique and to like edit. And if I leave something in there, that's so obvious, they'll get that satisfaction or the illusion of choice that it's like, hey, we need to really pull that. That doesn't work. Yeah. That's a great point. We'll absolutely pull it. Whereas that's, that's a pretty, if it's perfect, they're just going to pick it apart and have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> and like, then, damn. Right. And then you're going to end up with like a worse piece yeah. than otherwise. So it, it was a fascinating, but I do that every now and again, not with all clients, but like if I have a particularly difficult client, mm-hmm. I'll absolutely do that because that micromanaging thing that they have. I'll have to, of, we'll have to try that. That's a very interesting reverse psychology absolutely. kind of way of thinking about it. The illusion that. of like choice. It. Yeah. Because yeah, like if you that. give it to them that's where it's like perfect, it might be something where they're like, oh, well, this isn't really exactly how I envisioned it. So the next thing you know, they're trying to switch the whole thing. Like, can we cut the front, put the back and put it to the front? Can we try it this way? <laughs> right. It's just like, oh, man. Right. And then that's why you should always save uh, your dated iterations of your edit. Mm-hmm. Because I'll get 14 rounds into revisions on a project and then they'll be like, you know, can we just go back to round yeah. two? Mm-hmm. Well, we can, but I overwrote it. So now I have to like redo all the work. It's like just to just save Digging your auto saves. Just Absolutely. hoping you find it. When right. me and Trey go through timelines, um, depending on who has it, like if I'll get it, I'll just take a copy of Trey's timeline and just move it to the right and then just start editing that as mine. Or even with like clients, they'll be like, can I get this changed? And I'll be like, well, I'm not going to want to change it back. So copy and paste. And then now this is like, keep going down the timeline and you'll just see where it keeps changing. So if I want to go back, I can just go back on the timeline. And it's my first non-destructive editing. Yeah. Right. Right. So I'll just do it to where I'll copy the sequence Mm -hmm. and I just lead with the date. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like November 1st, November 3rd, November 8th. And then that way they're all like separated, Mm -hmm. but then I can just kind of like go back into those spaces and and quickly kind of find that. Yeah. Super handy. Um, so kind of got a little intro going gear. I want to talk to you about kind of like who you are and just like what you do and how you not only got into it, but also kind of like what you're doing now with your name as Garrett Sammons with like your YouTube channel, your clients that you have, such as like light panels and, you know, um, Anton and like, is it wooden camera too or no? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 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 It's yeah. the so whole biotech like, umbrella. Yeah. Let's talk about that. When did you get into filmmaking? Like what, Oh man, what pushed you in there? Sure. So I grew up in Southern California, mm-hmm. and I had the good fortune of my dad worked in marketing for Infinity, the car company. Okay. So from like a super young age, it I was, was like, Mad Men in that house. Well, and I was going on to like these crazy TV commercial film sets because like you're in LA, there are these cars, they're dropping huge money on these ads for luxury vehicles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And so, like, growing up, I was, like, looking around and be like, oh, well, this I'm is the, obvious. The biggest, like, mainstream sets right. around at Where the it's time. Where like, this is absolutely what I'm going to be doing. Like, why would I do anything else? Mm-hmm. I see this whole thing. And then, of course, like, then when you try to start doing it on your own, and you're like, well, what do you mean we can't get a techno crane? <laughs> <laughs> In Michigan, too, right? let alone. Like, like, what do you mean we, we can't have, you know, a, a seven-figure budget for this project? It's like, I have to fund this myself? Yeah, and that's a unique upbringing, too. Like, not, by, not like most who then, like, some of their first times on bigger sets, right. like after they're in the industry. So right. but that's you, pretty valuable, I would say, oh, as a sure. person growing up, you know. Yeah. I always had like an end goal. Like I knew yeah. where I wanted this stuff to end up, where I feel like most folks, it's like you're starting base level and then f- like working your way up to it, where it's like, mm-hmm. I'm still working my way up, but I have a very clear vision of like where that goes. And was did you say you started like your father was in the in the marketing side of all of it? Yeah. So then but then you decided that you wanted to go into the production side of it. Like right. camera and everything cuz right. you were like that's Yeah, oh god. It, it, it's so much cooler to be on set and doing and doing the making than mm-hmm. it is to sit behind a desk and like just talk about of, it. Right. <laughs> Conceptualize right. it. But you know, I I got a little bit of both. Oh there we go. See, that's not a quiet alarm. You got to turn your ringer all the way down. I thought I did. Okay. Oh, I forgot. That's got run stop, doesn't it? It does, yep. That's, uh, I mean, that, that brings up a good point on per-use case right. scenarios. I mean, granted, uh, unlimited run, run time would be nice, but, I mean, I'm, we're not going to film this with the... The Black Magic film it in raw for this whole thing. I've got so a couple XFs about to come on the market here. If you're, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like just a per use case, like a, oh, a, sure. the Black Magic shooting in raw 6K would just be complete overkill for this. So, like, we're shooting on a Fuji XT4. Granted, it's 4K, 10 bit color, and everything. Right. It gets the job done just fine. Yeah. So, well, and, and and I for the YouTube stuff, I was always filming in log for the longest time, and then mm-hmm. I was like, why? I'm literally just coloring this to Rec. 709. <laughs> That's like, a good point. You don't need to grade talking head YouTube stuff. So like, mm. what am I doing? I'm just adding more work for myself. So then when I flipped it over to Rec. 709, I was like, just shooting it in standard. I was like, oh man, this like simplified my workflow incredibly. Mm. Anyway, back to what you were saying. Yeah. So I kind of got a little bit of both because I got the production side by being on these sets and seeing this stuff. And there's pictures floating around somewhere. I'm sure that my mom has them. <laughs> But of like little young Garrett running around, yeah, and like and like and like you know we'd sit in the trailers and they'd like do our makeup with like the airbrush stuff and do like crazy (laughs) stuff, like like it was just a wild way to like have like a really young formative childhood of like this is the coolest thing ever. Mm -hmm. But then of course my dad was in marketing, so then it was like well it's not just the production, but here's what it has to do. Like that like we have this product, we have this production here, but it has to it has to do something. It on its own isn't enough it has to be distributed and everything yeah it has to be distributed but like if it's not selling cars we've wasted money yeah right like it's not like it's not just it's not art for art's sake it's like you have to be creative within the constraints of like actually doing something with it Mm -hmm. so i grew up that's huge learning that mentality that early on absolutely (laughs) well and like that's one of the things that i even today i talk about with clients like clients would be like you know i or potential clients like i've seen your work i like what you do the stuff that you guys do is great you know, what's it cost? And then we talk about the price and whatever, but what they're paying for is not the video. What they're paying for is how that video will perform. Mm -hmm. Because if I make you the greatest looking video in the world, but it doesn't increase revenue, it doesn't drive traffic. It doesn't hit whatever metrics you're supposed to hit with it. Mm -hmm. You've wasted money. 
Mm-hmm. Like totally. legitimately. And there's a lot of people in, in our space that are good at making stuff look good, but don't have that component of how do you make it convert mm-hmm. to that, sell. Right. What, or, 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 you know, to inform or to educate or whatever the purpose of that video is. So I got a little bit of both of those, but I actually didn't start in video. So I started in graphic design and web design. So it was like the early to mid 2000s. And of course it was like web Mm 2.0 was the shit. Like that's, everybody was like, does your business have a website? No, we need a website. And it was back when you could charge like an insane amount of money for websites. There's this guy, Dane Cook out there. He's like getting rich off of his websites. What's going on? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And this was like right when like, you know, YouTube started to pop off and everybody wanted to go viral and like all of like all this just Mm -hmm. crazy stuff. So I started kind of, I backed my way into marketing and film or like using film as a marketing tool because I started in graphic design specifically and like branding. Mm Mm-hmm. So well, it was like, I mean, you have a website, and then what do you need to populate the website? Exactly, like, <laughs> exactly. And I mean, back then it was like loading a video onto a web page was a nightmare. <laughs> right, yeah. But yeah, so it, it kind of backed my way into this to where it's like talking to brands, figuring out who they were, figuring out how to present them to the world with a, a logo and a website and like kind of creating this larger brand strategy, which then kind of circled back into... What was I think it was like 2007 or 2008 when the 5D Mark II came out, which was like that was the whole thing that kicked off the reason probably why all three of us are sitting here. Mm-hmm. Where it's like we now are taking something that traditionally was far more expensive and bringing it down to a price point that's much more accessible. Mm-hmm. And so then that was like, well, I bought that camera because I saw what it could do. Like Vincent Laferre came out with Reverie, which mm-hmm. was the short film that Canon hired him to do to show what that camera was capable of doing. I was like, well, there you go. Blue, That's yeah. it. It's done. Well, that brings up a good point, too, because <clears throat> in a lot of people are always like, oh, skip film school. Don't go to film school and stuff. And I totally get it. You know, like that's a thing that is you can learn on YouTube. It's a valid argument. But there are like other places where like the film school that me and Trey went to is a community college. And the film school um, education we got is different than even the film school education you get from Down the like road, big yeah. film Universe, schools. That absolutely. We're like, you can't touch a camera. We are, we're going to talk about theory. We're going to talk about directors. We're going to talk about this and that and this. And it's like, okay, that's cool. I mean, yeah, that's like U of M's curriculum. I mean, no shade, but like that's all, it's all theory based up until your junior year. You don't even receive a camera in your hands where right. as opposed to WCC, it's way more like trade school-esque kind of learning, if you will, where it's like in the field work, which what this industry is. And yeah. To bring it back even farther, to have you as an educator for that, it was like, I remember our finals were make a website, make a brand, make a business card, and then like, you know, what's your business pitch? So right there, you're just forcing people to not think about theory and like, oh, I'm going to go to Hollywood and LA and just like hop in a production team or like pitch my scripts everywhere. It's like, well, you can do that here. Just start branding yourself and doing that. So it's like a thing that a lot of people I feel like are kind of robbed of almost. Oh, for sure. So that was a val- I mean, I that was a valuable s- education, is what I'm getting at. I would say too to piggyback off of that is like, I don't think Drop Creative would be here without no. that type of teaching either. Where it's like he he forced mm-hmm. us to make these things, and granted, we weren't even Drop Creative back then, but like just that overall mindset that you kind of instilled in me, and I would say him too, is just like that working for yourself mentality and stuff, and that's where like 
this all kind of came about. So yeah, well, and and that goes to kind of the the idea of like, what do you want to do? Like, not everybody wants to make money at this, and that's mm-hmm. also fine. Where it's mm-hmm. like some people want to just create art for the sake of creating art, and that's what they want to do. And I love that. Like, I'm super into that. But like, especially you guys, when you guys came through, you guys already were so talented. You know, coming into the thing where you were already at this spot of like, how do we turn this into a business? Mm-hmm. And so you guys were super easy to teach because it's like, well, that if you have the drive to do it, it's super easy to do. Most people don't do it because the business component of being a filmmaker has nothing to do with filmmaking. And I think that that's really mm-hmm. hard for people who just want to make films and yeah. movies or commercials or whatever, where it's like, no, we have to like understand insurance and paperwork and contracts. Yep and client negotiations mm-hmm. and like there's like so many other things that stack into it to then afford you the luxury of actually doing the thing that you want to do yeah totally but like if you just want to make art just go make art but i think <laughs> john to your point I, th- I think that like truthfully the most valuable thing somebody's going to get out of film school is the network of people that they meet when they're in film school oh yeah because that's the thing that you're not going to get online Reddit is full of trolls. Mm-hmm. YouTube is, is tr- going to try to sell you something forever. <laughs> it's like you don't get the camaraderie. You don't get the sounding boards. And then you don't find people that, that have different skill sets. Like there are some people who just want to be editors. I think those people are insane. Yeah. But like there are people who like editing is their jam. I need those people. I hate editing. Yeah, your position is definitely really editing. valuable in the sense that WCC is you get the... The fresh pick at all the Everybody. hot rising stores. Everybody. Stars, so. You're good? Come on over. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> but yeah, no. So f- I think that like, yes, you could go to the University of YouTube and get the technical understanding of aperture, ISO, white balance, all of this stuff, what bit rates are, bit depths, all of the technical gearhead stuff. But what you won't get is peer review. What you won't get is like instructor review. And you're not going to get any of the back and forth networking and camaraderie. Like, I I managed two different shoots today. Both shoots were run by WCC alumni, just people that I had met through this thing and whatever, and then they all worked with each other, like Sam and Lewis and Griffin and Colton and, like, all of these mm-hmm. people, like, all get connected that never knew each other before WCC. Mm-hmm. And now they're working on film stuff every day with other WCC alum. Yeah, mm-hmm. the WCC film community, I feel like, runs really deep throughout the... Ann Arbor, Ipsy, Huge. Southeast Michigan area, I would yeah. I would even say. Um, I mean, it's every single time I'm on set, whether it's, I mean, if I don't know that, like I've ran into so many people that are like, oh yeah, I went through the program too. And it's like, like right. dang, okay. Well, yeah. And also too, it comes down to like me and Trey have discussed things of like, oh, LA possibility. Or sure. Like, oh, this or that. And it's just no. like, yeah, it's like, <laughs> wait a minute, who are we going to call? Like, where's our network? Like we've already spent nah, this many years here right. into the Troy area where it's like, the expansive network that you have is like people don't realize how important community is. Sure. So without that, I don't think you really can realize how important it is until you don't have it. And then you're like, holy shit, I'm screwed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I talk about this a lot because people, when they find out that I'm from Southern California, they're just like, well, how did you end Why'd up here? You leave? <laughs> Why'd you leave? And I'm like, cause it's terrible. Like it's like, like, like it's, the, the thing is, is that there's the, the, the big fish, small pond, small fish, big pond mm-hmm. situation. The thing is, is that in Southern California, the chances of my barista at Starbucks 
being as good of a cinematographer as I am is pretty high. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the, that's like, so valid. Yeah, like the, the the chance of the, the guy at the Genius Bar knowing how to do everything too. One hundred percent a better better editor than I would ever be. Oh yeah, you he know? is fully Cinema 4D certified and everything. Like, like without a doubt, you know. So like my my the server has written four feature length scripts that it got bought by Sony. Like that's it's a requirement everywhere. there at uh, at Starbucks. I heard it, you have to. Yeah, if you don't have a script already. Approved. You have to submit a, exactly, yeah, yeah. You know, feature, feature too. <laughs> yeah, 120 pages or nothing. Um, so there's that component of it, and then of course, like the the regional mentality of LA is very different too, because everybody doing the same thing, there's this weird competitiveness that kind of creeps in, to where it's like, not only do I need to succeed, but you have to fail in order for me to succeed. Yeah, you got to step on everybody to rise to the and top. It, and it's this weird kind of like toxic way of, of working. And what's really cool about the internet, I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but <laughs> what's cool about that is that like it has freed everybody up so that way nobody has to live in L.A. So like exactly. most of your A-list Hollywood celebrities, they have a house there. They don't mm-hmm. live there. Yeah. Directors don't live. Pierce Brosnan lives in Hawaii. Fantastic. Good for you. Like, that's great. And then, like, if the project calls for it, you go to L.A. for eight weeks, you shoot your thing, you leave. Like, mm-hmm. whatever. No big deal. Who's the guy who's got the house out in Celine or Dexter? Is it Jeff Daniels? Or yeah, Jeff Je- Daniels yeah, lives Jeff out Daniels. in Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. Chelsea. That's yeah. where it is. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And, and that's becoming more and more common to where, like, now I would say 50% of the work that my company gets is from outside of our region. Mm-hmm. So it'll be New York, it'll be LA, it'll be Atlanta, it'll be Houston. And instead of flying crews out and all of the expense that is incurred with travel, they'd rather hire local units to go shoot second unit stuff or whatever it is that they're doing. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm getting a ton of work from those places because I'm here, in addition to all of the work that's actually still here. So it's like, you don't need to move and again, if your network is your most valuable asset, which it is in business, it's like, why would you start over? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, the biggest thing about moving to a new city is you're literally starting from ground zero to whereas like, we'll get, yeah, we've had numerous clients in LA reach out to us and we've flown out to LA and done jobs out there. It's, it's great to in and out weekend trips all day, you know, LA is fun like, to visit. Yeah, it's. It's weird out there, though. It's like a Insta- it's, it's an Instagram filter for like, sure, like just over <clears throat> the whole city. <laughs> I remember the first time we were out in L.A., like the only person who was actually like kind of versed on set was the sound guy. And he was like the guy that we could actually like talk to. And he would look around and be like, what the fuck is going on? And yeah. it's like our director had pointy boots, shiny shoes. That like, was a whole nightmare that we don't even have to get into. Yeah, but, but I, just think <laughs> I remember just, that trip. It's just funny because it's like, okay, like. You, if it's you know, everybody's like, oh, it's great out here. And then you come out there, and then the guy, the director's over your shoulder, like this whole thing's being filled in sixty FPS, right? And you're like, wait, what the fuck are you talking? About? You want that? You want that? And he's like, oh wait, never mind. I'm sorry. And you're like, okay, go yeah. away. Yeah. But I mean, I've I've ran into numerous people who've had the plan of moving out to LA and stuff. But like, my biggest piece of advice, besides like just building your community where you're at and stuff, I mean some people it's really helpful to move out of the hometown or wherever you grew up or went to school in. But if you're going to move out to like LA or any of those big cities, like don't move out there in hopes to find a plan, move out there with a plan or a connection rather. Like so many people are like, Oh, I'm going to go meet the, 
yeah. my producer that I can sell this script to and stuff like where it's that's going to be a really toxic situation to where like if you have that plan and that connection already established like moving out to this new place it's going to help you tenfold you know? yeah moving for a job is different than moving to find it's a job yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, well uh buddy of mine june yeah yep, yep, june's yep. doing great out june's there. june's crushing it yeah, right yeah good buddy he's a great guy he's a fantastic director mm -hmm. but before he moved he got plugged in to the right people to get representation to like make sure that he actually had stuff lined out lined up when he got out there yeah where it's like that's that very different yeah, yeah that's way different than mm -hmm. being like i'm gonna be the next Martin Scorsese. Yeah. Going to L.A. Mm. You heard Spielberg just walked on a set one time and just started doing stuff. I'm just going to do that. Yeah. That was also like 50 <laughs> years ago. It's like, 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 But, you know, the, the Internet is so fantastic because it's so easy to find people and to be found by people mm -hmm. where it, it doesn't always have to be a, a three martini lunch and a handshake to get stuff done. It's like, no, you could you could do stuff just over email. And. One of the, uh, we're going to preface this, very silvery linings of this whole pandemic situation is that it has normalized telecommunication. Mm -hmm. It has normalized remote and distance work. It has normalized so much of this idea that, like, you don't have to be here or there or wherever it. to make it happen. And the company. I find it kind of comical that just some companies are, like, just now realizing that, too, it seems like, to where they're like, oh, yeah, we we can use this thing, like you said, called the internet and actually find other people like, it's instead like, of just using Joe Schmo down the block. Right. Like, it's right. like uh, if we don't micromanage our employees and like force them to be in unhealthy situations and unhealthy work environments, they're going to do better. And then <laughs> on, on top of that, we don't have to pay for this brick and mortar or like capital building oh, yeah. like that we're yeah. spending so much money on rent on. Like what? Yeah. I love like the, the businesses that spend the tens of millions or billions of dollars on these gi giant campuses. And now they're like trying to bring all their employees back. Mm -hmm. The employees are like, no, nah, I'm good. A see couple of them on later. the north side have like gone up for sale. Oh, of course. Yeah. Oh, uh, wow. They would have to. Yeah. That's crazy. Like yeah. big commercial buildings. And now we're just like, wait, we leveled out like the, the, the fields for this. Like, we, right. can we bring that nature back? Right. <laughs> well, I, I was talking to somebody about like Detroit. Cause of course, like we know that Detroit's dope. Mm -hmm. But like I feel like outside of mm -mm. Southeast Michigan, I mean, even if people even think Detroit, the West they're scared side, of terrifying. Stuff. Yeah, they think yeah. that like you're either going to get murdered anywhere, or that like there are no buildings. Like, yeah. like it's like just leveled post-apocalyptic whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what's cool about Detroit is that like Detroit's revitalization, I feel, is already now ten years ahead of the issues that you're going to find in New York and L.A. and Chicago, Chicago and all of these places where they now have all of these like downtown business office buildings that they can't fill mm -hmm. and it's like detroit's like we've been there now they're apartments yeah <laughs> like, exactly we've, like, we've crossed that bridge like, already we're good yeah. like, it's interesting too because i got a buddy in chicago and he loves it there and i go to visit him from time to time and me and trey have talked about this i personally don't like chicago and i i, I could use the word hate chicago because of just like the infrastructure you can't have a car there there's so many issues but like i'm talking to a lot of people there and i'm just like you guys don't ever want to go to Detroit? And he's like, I would never imagine. Like, I can't think of any reason I'd want to go to Detroit. And I'm like, dude, you literally got punched in your in the face on the L last week and your laptop stolen from your arms. Like, what are you talking about? It's right. just as dangerous in Chicago, if not depending. Oh, way more. Way, way more. more. Like, you're fine <laughs> yeah, in Detroit, Chicago's dude. Come on. Far more. Like, I have, I have a buddy who lives in Chicago, and it's the same kind of thing where he's like, yeah, on that corner, I got mugged. On that corner, I got my car stolen. <laughs> On that corner, I got my whatever. I'm like, and you still live here. Yeah. <laughs> like, you still choose to be here. Mm -hmm. 
They're like, but you got to keep still visiting me because I'm not going to Detroit. <laughs> exactly. Where it's like, dude, listen. Well, they'll just get caught in traffic. They'll never make it out here. That's problem. right. Get stuck on the eight, not <laughs> yeah. be able to go anywhere. Yeah, it's a six-hour drive to Chicago, but you can see the skyline for the last two. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. exactly. But, I mean, just to keep moving forward, like, Garrett, you have always had these, um, I don't want to say workarounds or lucrative, but I want to say, like, um, kind of outside the box thinking of like how to push forward mm. with gaining clients that mm. I always thought was super interesting. Mm. I mean, you taught us ways in school how to like literally hunt down marketers for like bigger companies and pitch to them through their emails, which isn't necessarily something that a lot of people are like know the avenue to go to. And then like now kind of to like your whole entire YouTube mm. like avenue of this stuff. Like, I mean, there is a whole like paradigm shift, if you will, like with your work and just like you're kind of the first people, first person person in like this area i would say to kind of dive into that world as as much as you are um so like if you want to expand on that a little bit like just your attacking brands on like the back page kind of side of it with like getting your whole youtube page and like the the way you go about it too is really unique on the sense that you're not just another youtuber trying to be like hey here's the new dgi blah 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 buy this thing exactly so dgi pay me but yeah, like, right. You're, right, right. You, yeah, it's such an organic and natural growth that you've done that's sure. like really inspiring too. And just like the way that you go about it is really unique. So there's there's two kind of components to to making it as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. The first is that you have to be an eternal optimist, especially when you're starting out. It's feast or famine. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, it's famine. It's yeah. like every once in a while you get a project <laughs> and it's like you're stoked, but then you know, you wait another two, three months before you get another one. Mm-hmm. And that that sense of eternal optimism, nobody is going to root for you unless they see the success that you already have. So you have to root for you harder than anybody will. The defeating aspect of it is like what kills me all the time. 100%. Absolutely. And then, which feeds into, you have to be comfortable with and or excited about hearing no. Mm-hmm. No is an important thing to hear. Mm-hmm. You're good. No, you're good. I'll, I'll wait. But the power of no, both from a receiving end and from a giving end, is going to be the fastest way that you can make money. I was going to say, yeah, saying no too is. Like you have the to be able no. to say no. And, and it's terrifying when you're starting out to turn down a client or to turn down money or to say, no, we're, we don't want to take on that project. But. If it's not a good fit, if the money isn't there, if you're going to waste a lot of time doing it when you could be reattacking like certain positions that you need to be focusing on as yourself. Exactly. Then, then, then say no, that's going to free you up to make more money later. And then on the flip side of it is that like, especially so like when, when I'm trying to shop around a spec piece or I'm trying to like get in with a particular brand or, or a brand style, it's like, I have to be comfortable getting a hundred no's knowing that I'm then eventually going to get a yes. Mm-hmm. But if I get five no's and then I'm so discouraged that like, I'm not going to do it anymore. Well, then you're not, you're never going to make it like, cause that one yes could be GM. It's going to, it's going to change. It's going to change the trajectory of everything that you've got going on. Um, and then the other thing, so we, the first one of is, is that, and then the second one, and I, I say this often is that like, you have to have the confidence of a straight white man living in America at all times, regardless of who, of who you are. There's this thing that old 
straight white people have where they just assume the world caters to them. And it's because the system has been engineered to cater to them, right? So they just mm-hmm. have this level of expectation of like, well, this will happen for me, mm-hmm. right? And regardless of who you are, you know, your ethnicity, your gender, sexual orientation, identity, whatever, that doesn't matter. You have to have that sense of confidence. People only get weird about talking about money if you're weird about talking about money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People only get weird about hitting different metrics or talking about different subjects if you make it weird. Because a client, if they're going to hear you, you know, like, it's this much money, right. they're going to be like, right. wait, what? what are right. you, why are you giving me that vibe? Or Is it or, this much money? Are you going to do it? So mm-hmm. so in, in business school, one of the things that I learned was once you give a price, once you tell them what something costs, whatever the Shut thing up. is, right? Like this, whatever <laughs> this costs, right? The next person to speak loses. Whatever that negotiation is. So if I say this is going to cost you $10, unless that's too much, we could probably like do eight. Well, now this costs $8, mm-hmm. right? Like we're, so it's figuring out how to make that make sense and do it in a way to where it's like you can present a dollar value to somebody in a way that's not going to offend them. Even if like what you were talking about earlier, you have imposter syndrome where it's like, they're never going to go for this, mm-hmm. right? And maybe they don't. Mm-hmm. Worst case scenario is they say no. Mm-hmm. Then we move on. Mm-hmm. Like, and you have to have that sense of just being able to let it roll off and go in order to make it. Because otherwise, being an entrepreneur is a stupid idea. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, like mm-hmm. for your self esteem and everything else, it's like, man, it's just awful. Don't crush you. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you definitely have to be resilient in a sense, and it's just a lot of. A lot of it's just it, eating it, shit for a while. Yeah, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and the thing is, is that you feel defeated sometimes. Of course, but not showing that first of all, which feels toxic, but you got to do it, unfortunately, because this is the world we live in. Right. But then also being able to like when you get that yes, like also know like this is everything that I've been working for. Sure. You know what I mean, like this, like we can do this, and it's you know the other client just wasn't right fit for this opportunity. So. Exactly. Not letting things get to you and stuff. Yeah, and that's one of the nice things about spec work, which is really cool, is that like if you shoot something for spec, there are more than one company that would be interested in that, right? So like, um, we did some work with Adidas. It's mm-hmm. Like, so we did some spec stuff. Mm-hmm. Shop it to Nike. Shop it to Under Armour. Shop it to Puma. Shop it to shop it all the way around, and then oh, yeah. you land on somebody who's like, yeah, that concept is cool. Let's go with something like that. It's like, okay, sweet. Then you got a gig. And then you got a gig and then you can move on and you can do that stuff. And it's like, without the spec, you might not get into those rooms to have those conversations. Because if on, on your reel that you're showing your client is nothing but nature stuff and right. you're trying to get a shoe ad, it's exactly. not, not going to work. work. It's not going to work. So it's like figuring that out. That's the definitely like a huge hitting point on anyone getting in the field on like, oh, like I want to be a whatever, a mountain bike photographer then, then like, shoot it oh shoot mountain absolutely bikes. like that's think, yeah we've always tried to do a good job at like making sure our work is super differentiated but mm-hmm. it's um it's like i always just want to do more <laughs> of course absolutely 100 there is a oh you were talking about like if you want to shoot mountain bikes go shoot mountain yeah. bikes yeah Flutter, <laughs> fluttered away it's gone but like so so one of the things that if you want to grow like as a filmmaker and like as like as a business is you have to be comfortable assume thanks man assuming that you have a seat at the table 
that you're approaching, mm -hmm. right? So like if you have primarily just been shooting wedding spots, right? So you've got some wedding stuff. That's where a lot of people get their start. That's great and fine. And now let's say that you want to then take that into something a little higher and you want to go in let, like, let's do a wedding or a, a, like a bridal dress company, mm -hmm. leverage this into that, right? We haven't necessarily done that. We've done something close. We can show how we make people look and then leverage that into kind of a brand deal. So it would be really easy when reaching out to a company like that where it's like, well, I don't belong here. I've never done anything like this. This company's not what it's like. You have to assume that you belong. Mm -hmm. And if you assume that you belong, everybody else is going to assume that you Fake belong. Fake it till you make it. You're just blended in. And here's the thing that's so messed up about that. Nobody's made it. <laughs> Everybody's faking it all the time. Like some of our clients are like Inc. 500 companies. Like when you think of like this is the company that commercial filmmakers want to work with. Mm -hmm. It's like those are some of the people that we've done work with. And they are absolute dumpster fires on the inside. They're, I mean, they're just train wrecks <laughs> in slow motion everywhere. And I sit there and I look at this. I'm like, this is a billion dollar company. And they have no idea what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Which like in a way makes me feel better about myself. But then also it's like, how oh, am I not a billionaire? That's, I mean, yeah. same sort of deal is <laughs> like we've definitely interviewed some higher ups in some of the automotive companies around here. And like, it's like, dude, how are you, like they can barely form sentences, you know? Absolutely. And I mean, granted, they're in front of a camera and what have you, but like even off camera, it's like, yeah. that the same thought, like why aren't I a billionaire right now? Right. Like, how did you get in that position? But It's all about who you know. Well, yeah, failing huge, upwards. Yeah. <laughs> and it may, you know what you just said that kind of blew my mind a little bit? It was like, um, nobody's made it. And Nobody. The, the more that I think about it, it's like, you've got the head of marketing who is like, we're going to hire this guy to do this ad does the ad land? The ad landed. Yes. The, he looks at the CEO. The CEO's good job. The CEO goes, great. Now I'm not going to get fired. And the shareholders are like, we're all doing great, baby. Like, <laughs> That's it. Everybody's like, this is working. That's it. <laughs> the thing is that everybody will claim the success and nobody will claim the failure. Yeah. But yeah. it's the exact same people doing the work either way. Like, mm -hmm. it, like, but so anyway, eternal optimism, number one, have the confidence of a straight white man living in America. Mm -hmm. You have to own every room that you walk into. And that confidence is going to carry you so far because every single person I've been in a room with on the inside has the same imposter syndrome I do. And if I seem confident and like I belong, there's a sense of relief for them. It's like, oh my God, thank God this guy knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. We should bring them on because they know yeah. what's happening. Where like on the inside, everybody's just screaming and like late stage <laughs> capitalism. But like, you know, so figuring that stuff out. But then that pivoted, of course, into the YouTube stuff, which is you treat it the same way. Lightly. <laughs> I'm getting my steps in. There you go. Up and down stairs and everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so anything that you do within the creative space, and it doesn't matter whether it's filmmaking or commercial work or photography or whatever, you know, as creatives, which is a very different endeavor than business, if you will, um, it, you approach all of it the same way. So when I started on YouTube, it was the same kind of thing where I wanted to take what I was doing in the classroom and kind of bring it online. Got side railed a little bit with COVID and everything, but like that was the goal was mm. like, let's take, cause again, most of YouTube is either, and I'm not going to name names, but like it's either people who don't know what they're doing and are self-starters and are putting out this idea of like, I don't, I didn't know what I was doing. 
until I started doing it and now I know what I'm doing. So now I'll show you how to do it where it's like, that's just how you convey really bad information. <laughs> so that's kind of like one group. And then the other group is like, you have to have a red helium eight K. And if you don't, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Yeah. And it's like, it, it, and neither of those are helpful for anyone. And I feel like the people who they're in the second group that you talked about, like where you got to have this camera have never really been in the dirt with the other never, stuff. Never, never. Absolutely know? not. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, so that was the original goal of kind of the YouTube thing, but there is this insatiable need for content. YouTube is a platform that needs content. The algorithm needs content. And so I could sit in a chair and talk all day about the things that we should think about and what we should do and how we should approach stuff. But like at a certain point, people do want to know about gear. Mm -hmm. People do want to know how lights work. People do want to know what we should be looking for when we're trying to identify whether a lens is good or bad. And that's where then the same strategy that I use to find and build client relationships for work, Mm -hmm. I was employing those same tactics in how I was approaching businesses with YouTube. And the, the, the partnership that I've got with Vitek, which nobody knows the name of that company because it's just kind of a holding company, but like light panels, Teradek, small HD, wooden camera, Quasar, Anton Bauer, Anton Bauer, Sockler, all the goods, all the, all the goods. A lot, yeah. But I was on a shoot and one of the things that I was liked to do even before YouTube was like post cool behind the scenes stuff. People love that. I love it more mm-hmm. than I yeah. even like seeing people's end frames. Like yeah. I don't care what it looks like. Like mm-hmm. show me like what you guys were doing. That's the cool mm-hmm. stuff. So I always made a habit of whatever brands were in the behind the scenes photos that I would use, I would tag those brands out mm-hmm. and I would always hire a behind the scenes crew and behind the scenes photographer. So I made sure that the stuff that we had, and the reason why that started is that we wanted to do case studies for clients. So like we shot this ad, this ad was successful. I want to build a case study around that to use to then get more work. So I would hire these behind the scenes crews to create these case study videos to then use to make more work. So I had all this cool BTS stuff. So I ended up tagging light panels in one of these BTS things. And they reached out and said, hey, can we put this on our Instagram? And this is like the golden opportunity where it's like. And you're like, yes, but you have to pay me. No, even better. <laughs> I, said, I said, yeah, absolutely. Why don't you give me your email so I can send you the full resolution file? There you go. <laughs> so then I got the email for the person who was over there doing that. And, and like that opens up your conversation, yeah, your right contact. There. Yeah. yeah, but like I didn't even talk to them for probably a year, maybe a year and a half. But then like I got to this point where I was like really starting to do this YouTube thing because that was even before the YouTube thing started. Mm-hmm. Then I started getting into YouTube. Is this pre-COVID? Oh yeah, this would have been uh, sixteen, seventeen, something like that. Yeah. I don't know what keeps going on here. Is that the battery grip on the bottom of it, or is that just the camera? Mm-hmm. Is there a little temperature thing on there? Is Feel the back of it. Is it toasty? Mm-hmm. That was my thought. I thought it might be overheating. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's warm, but it ain't, like, toasty. Like, it's... I mean, press record, and you have, like, 30 minutes on there? 29.55, count down. That's weird. Well, we're already so far. I don't know what's going on with it. That's all right. 
We'll just do it like a short trailer for the video. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like when, once the YouTube thing really started, once like that was like I really want to kind of move into this and make this happen. That's then when I leaned on this email that I had, and I followed up and I said, "Hey, you know, a while back, you you saw some of the BTS stuff that we were doing. I want to do more stuff like that." here's what I'm doing on YouTube. And I, I framed it in like the, I'm trying to do this kind of educational thing where it's not just talking about the stuff you need, but like how to use stuff. And you go beyond the unboxing video. Exactly. Cause was, companies love unboxing videos. Love Cause them. then people are like, Oh yeah, you can actually show that our product is there and people right. can kind of hold it in their hands visually right. ahead of time. Right. But now you're teaching people how to use it. That, and that, and that's kind of the to way. To the fullest potential. And exactly. taking a more humanistic approach to whole like tutorial videos in right. a sense and like v- more value to them than just like how to color grade your, your image and right. stuff. It's more so like why these colors like and that's what I really appreciate out of what you're doing. Yeah. And, and like and, and the thing that's important, it's not necessarily the fixture that you're using. It's the principles behind it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like like why are we choosing to light something this way or lens something this way or use this particular camera? Cause like, just like not all cameras are right for all situations, neither are lenses, mm-hmm. neither are lights. Mm-hmm. Like all of these things are tools to make stuff happen. And I kind of want to like contextualize that online of like, yeah, this thing's good, but like, here's the principles of why we did what we did with it. And that's a huge problem with YouTube in the sense that it's like, Oh, look at this nan light! Like, right. light every scene with right. it and stuff. Where it's like, tube no, lights aren't always the more answer. like to it than just that, you right. know. So, like, my again, favorite thing it's always trying to sell you something. My favorite thing with those promos for that for that product in particular. Do we want to just pause this real quick? Yeah, dude. Pop, what does that yeah, say yeah. right there? It's just storing. Well, no, at the it gives you a little warning label. <clears throat> Sorry, this thing. I don't care. Try just switching the slots. You want to? You want to get? I can get up. No, it's fine. I won't be able to see anything else. It's just there. It says storing, and then there's like a warning label after, like a. Oh, is, what does that say? Is the card too slow? When you just plugged it in. No, it's a. Whatever, we can just keep going. It can always just be the thing that normally happens. Audio is just... <laughs> I'm saying that, yeah, the camera cutting out, just the normal thing that happens. I mean, it's it's cut out in other ones before, and it, we just have, like, this rotating drop logo. So, anyway, all that to say, so, like, I pitched this idea to them of, like, I want to make these tutorials like I want to like tell people how to do stuff and I'd like to like utilize your project like your products in the way that we do that and you know it turned out that they were in the process of trying to figure out how they wanted to do some of their online video stuff and they wanted to do some of this stuff so then we like signed this like big partnership deal with them and so now this is like year four I think year four or five that we've been like doing stuff with them Mm -hmm. um which is cool because, like, you know, even in the way that, like, I go on YouTube and I talk about their products, it's not like, hey, you should buy this product because this is the product that's going to be the best thing for you. Even if it it is, it's like these are the principles behind the lighting of why we're using this light to do that thing. Kind of like your video specifically how to light a bar. Right. You know, so right. somebody can literally just Google, like, you know, bar scene or, like, how to light a bar. Right. And then you're not sitting there like, 
hey, this is light panels, blah, 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 blah. You're like, hey, we're going to talk about how to light a bar, and today we're going to be using these. Exactly. You know? Right. And so then somebody who's got like a nan light, right? The, the principles behind how we light that can bar. Can still be applied. Can totally you know? still yeah. work, right? You don't have to have this fixture to do that thing. Mm-hmm. My favorite thing, by the way, with the, the way that the nan lights were marketed is that 90% of the material that I've seen is people holding them like lightsabers. <laughs> where it's like, that's not... Yeah. Like, that's Good A. Good stuff. Yeah. That's not A, even <laughs> how we do lightsabers, and B, like, that's also not helpful in terms of, like, a light source. <laughs> like, it's just like, that's cool. There's a prop that lights up. <laughs> right. Like, it's like, but, like, how would you use that? And there's legitimately good uses... For tube lighting. For yeah. tube lights. Like, tube lights have a huge need in... Like, this space could use tube lights. Oh, yeah. You know, just It'd putting nice. stuff up and out and whatever and keeping it out of the way. Not useful as a lightsaber. <laughs> but, like, all right, cool. To each of thy own. Right. Absolutely. But yeah, you've seen like a lot of authentic growth and everything like that, right? Didn't you just bump up from like not even a year ago, like an average amount of YouTubers to like how many do you have right now? Yeah, to we an absurd amount of yeah, a whole twenty-seven thousand. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty still good. Something. You're yeah. able to monetize and stuff. Yeah, and twenty-seven thousand YouTubers who are interested in your work. I mean, like I don't really know very many people that have over twenty k on Instagram. You know, right? And a oh, lot my, more people are scrolling. Follow me on Instagram. I got to bump those numbers. Those are those numbers are shy. Yeah, you can yeah. plug. You can plug away. There will be in the description and all that. You can find his it's just socials my name. and all that. Yeah. yeah, if you know his name, you know his socials. Yeah, Instagram, YouTube, that's about it. It's kind of how I like to keep it. Just Simple. if you know me, you can probably find me. So. I lurk on TikTok, and I always think about making TikToks because oh, I love dude. that platform. We like, lurk on it, too. Oh, TikTok. I live, I live vicariously so... through my girlfriend. She just shows me TikToks, oh, and then I'll man. occasionally send them to him. Absolutely. <laughs> dude, like TikTok, I think that they're doing – to me, TikTok is as innovative – as Vine was and totally. like stands on the shoulders of what Vine did. Mm-hmm. And I have not seen that level of creativity in a social platform oh, since Vine. It's great. That's Memes have completely evolved Absolutely. into a way where like I don't feel as guilty as looking at them anymore because they're good content. Absolutely. Yeah, I love TikTok. And at some point I'll, I'll make a TikTok with all the free time that I have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing too when it goes into TikToks. Like I see some of these TikToks I'm like, bro, like I know how much work went into that TikTok. You spent like, six hours. Yeah, right. yeah, it's like 40 minutes of filming alone. Right. For like God. The, the, the one minute video. Or the people, people go crazy. And the people that like composite themselves, I love like when the sketch has like six people but it's like all the one person i got a hat mm-hmm. on or a scarf and or like I'm just a, a totally towel over their head or the whatever like transitions right. that people be doing oh like, man i love it i love it so much I, for, when for, when tiktok first came out i thought that those numbers were all a lie mm-hmm. i was like wait a minute there's no all way. they have to do it's is China. just the, yeah they could just <laughs> in the app they could just add a couple extra zeros and everybody's sure. gonna be like oh i need to make one now because right. like those extra zeros are like what is important to me yeah. so I've got I got two filmmaker friends that are on TikTok. Uh, Chris Vandershaft, who mm-hmm. does all the Phantom Slow Mo stuff, mm-hmm. he's got a TikTok, and I've got a, a couple others or whatever. And I was chatting with them about it, and they're like, "You got to get on it." The engagement's just through the roof, well, and 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 the way that like there you get paid out, uh, like is being part of like the creator program or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. but you get paid out. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 like you can make money on TikTok and whatnot. So like they're like the the ad revenue and the the creator price tag generation on that compared to trying to build a youtube or an Mm. instagram or whatever apparently is like so much easier Hmm. i I didn't know that yeah i just don't have time i'm already doing too many weird things in my free time yeah the entrepreneurial tree yeah yeah that's that's a that's a thing that i 
sometimes struggle with. I mean, my friend is in like, oh, dude, you need to hop into FPV, FPV, like all this stuff. <laughs> and it's like, there's only like, there's so much stuff that you can tackle and be efficient at before you're just spreading yourself and being mediocre at everything. You exactly. know, Jack there's like, trades master and none. Yeah, that that saying exactly. So like, that's been a an interesting thing I've kind of been overcoming is like picking your focuses on what you really want to or have to excel at and not just like spreading yourself so thin. Absolutely. It's kind of like what you said. I, I wanted to touch on it a little bit at the very beginning when you were saying like a student will come up to you and say, what camera should I buy? And sure. like, I think the real question is like, do you want to be a DP? Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. Do you want to do that? Because right. do you want to be a photographer? Like, what do you see yourself doing in the film role? Because there are a lot of people that make a shitload of money just gripping and gaffing and having fun too, you know, and of they're course. still involved on set all yeah. the time. So 100%. Yeah. And, and again, one of the benefits that I had growing up and like having access to kind of like these really large Hollywood sets was that like, I innately understood that there were different roles. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the, I don't want to call it a con, or like a negative only because like everyone wants to be everybody wants to be an everything mm -hmm. you hire me i will do the creative i will do the writing i will do the shooting and the lighting and the audio and the editing and the compositing and the and it's like at some you can do that when you're starting out sure because the amount of money that's getting tossed around is fine mm -hmm. whatever but like there's a reason why there are professionals that do one thing and mm -hmm. they do that one thing perfectly. Mm -hmm. It's like the, the reliance on autofocus is a great example. Yeah. <laughs> the reliance on autofocus in our industry right now exists because there are so many people that are coming from the ground up, which is great. But like, I would rather take a skilled first AC slash focus puller any day. Mm-hmm. Any day, then try and spend then your try. money on a night the best autofocus right, class that you right. can find without without a doubt. Mm -hmm. And it's like so, I'm so excited that we've democratized filmmaking in a way to where like it is more accessible now, and the barrier to entry is so much lower now than it was five years ago, ten years ago, fifteen years ago. But on the other hand, film school matters now more than ever because it can contextualize. And kind of cut through all of the... Build you a foundation. Absolutely. And cut through all the YouTube nonsense, mm -hmm. right? Just because somebody has a YouTube... Just because somebody has a 27,000 subscriber <laughs> YouTube channel doesn't mean they know what they're talking about. Like, there's two channels in particular that have millions of subscribers that are in our space that they have no idea what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. So just because somebody's subscriber count is high or that their engagement is high or whatever online... As we all know, social media is not the real world. Yep. It's not. And so it's like. And like solely learning from that, like those subscribers, those huge YouTubers is like in result could lead you like down the wrong path of how to do how to do certain things and absolutely. all of that, which then in could or which then could lead to like just you ultimately not liking filmmaking, which learn it the right way. And you could be. So, so a great, great example of that is that like gimbals, right? Everybody needs a fucking gimbal. Everybody thinks their it's like, just going to be like, oh, that was bad because I didn't have a gimbal. Right. And it's like, it's like, gimbal, there is a use for it. I would say of the camera moves that you could do for a narrative thing, gimbals account for 2%, mm -hmm. maybe, right? But I remember when the first gimbal came out, when, when Movi came out, or Freefly came out with the first Movi, yeah. the M15. It was the M10 and the M15. Mm-hmm. And it was 
$15,000, right? So I knew a guy who had bought one. He'd invested in the system. I went in and I learned it. Like he owned it, but like didn't know how it worked. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'll go in and figure out how this thing works. Let's whatever. Do it. What a nightmare. First of all, <laughs> looking back on it, like, holy cow. So co- you needed tools, like actual tools to yeah. move things around and do stuff and whatever. So then when the Ronin came out, the fir- the, the Ronin, what was the, the, oh, the stick the, one? The- not the overhung S one. S or whatever. The S, yeah, 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 the Ronin S. So the M came out first, yeah, and that yeah, was yeah. very similar to the Movi, but like <clears throat> a more simplified version of it. But when the S came out, it was like the, the stick thing. Everyone was just I bought, all over the place. I bought one. Yeah. We loved like, our Ronin S. It was a workhorse. I was like, I, like, I got to have one. And it sat on my shelf for five years, and it's gotten used four times in like a professional setting or whatever. That but, gimbal alone, like... Mm destroyed or like messed with people's mindsets Absolutely. in the sense of filmmaking because yeah because of that like i feel like that ergonomics of that piece that stabilizer people then just thought like cool i can just run around and exactly. i'm spraying and praying at right. that point so right. whereas instead of being intentional with how we move the camera and why we move the camera and like there's a reason why we use a track dolly when we're doing push shots. Mm-hmm. It's like, I want to move in and out. I actually want nothing in the up and down. Mm-hmm. I want nothing in the left and right. I want just a single axis move, which if you try to do that with a gimbal, you'll find very quickly, it's so impossible, even doing the weird butt out duck walk thing, mm-hmm. to have no drift left to right or no drift up and down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you used the right tool... It's the easiest thing in the world to get that shot. So we made a tool for that. Right. Like these things have existed for a reason. It's like, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, but again, you have to kind of fight against this YouTube culture, right? There was a, one video I saw the other day where somebody was like, I have learned from video gaming that more frames is always better. So now all of my videos moving forward are going to be shot in 60. Mm-mm. Not for the sake of slow motion, but just like just shot in 60. <laughs> that applies in a video game yeah, world. Right. But like. But, like, there's a reason why we have things the way that, that they are. And I, I'm not, like, the, the old man yelling in the lawn, you know, like, you know. I'm, that, <laughs> yelling that's at not, the cloud. you got to shoot right. 24. Right, like, that, that's, not, that's not what I mean at all. But, like, the reason why movies look the way movies look and the reason why audiences resonate with the aesthetic that is filmmaking. Industry standards. Exists for a reason. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, I'm not saying that your stuff looks bad. It's like, I've bought TVs that have smoothing on them and they look like the thing that you're <laughs> making or whatever but I'm like, I immediately like go and turn it off. Yeah. But it's like, it's a different application. Video games are cool. They're awesome. I love them. Not cinema. Right? Yeah. And they yeah. don't have to be. It's a, it's they're apples totally, and oranges. They're two totally know? different yeah. things. Well, for example, just when technology and just like societal standards butt heads, it's like, I got the new iPhone 13 pro, you know, mm-hmm. not the max, just a normal one. Sure. And it's got the 120 refresh rate on the screen. Yeah. And for the first couple of days I was like, this is great. But then, you know, like Facebook and Instagram are still 60. Oof. A lot of the other apps are still 60. Oof. Most only iPhone stuff is 120. So you're just switching back and forth. And constantly. yeah, so like, like British and, television. Well, every time I was going in and out of certain different apps, like there's this jarring like 60, 120, 60, 120 in my brain. And at the end of the day, I would have like a headache. And I was yeah. like, dude, this is ridiculous. Yeah. And then I turned it off. Like I don't even use it because it gives me a headache. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I was I was telling my students the other day, about and I don't know if it's it's still industry standard because I don't I don't work with PAL stuff. But for the longest time, in British television, all exterior was shot in fifty and all interior was shot in twenty five. Hmm. I didn't know that. Why? That's interesting. I don't I, I, I don't know why, but like watching British procedurals 
and you're switching these frame rates and it's just like it's it is jarring. oh it's so jarring and I, I doubt that they still do it like I mm-hmm. on any of the streaming stuff that's that I see from what's over there none of that's any of that stuff but like switching frame rates or switching refresh rates off mid project off <laughs> I mean I can even visually tell the difference between 24 and 30 immediately oh yeah oh yeah 100% like mm-hmm. it's just like that's 30 what are we doing mm-hmm. that's 60 what are we doing like that it does not work and 100%. It's crazy too because a lot of people will be like, how do I get that cinematic look? And it's like, well, there's actually a few standard techniques that people continue to do these days. The first one is buy lights. <laughs> if, Yo. you, if you want the cinematic look, the first and most important thing is to light better. 100%. So you push on that all the time. Absolutely. Like not only on your Instagram, but just like how you just did it right there. Yeah. Buy, like invest in lighting. Buy lights. Make sure your lights are okay. Um, there has been so much content that I've seen recently on like YouTube when it comes to like music artists and music videos and this and that. And I'm just like, this isn't lit at all. And it's totally taking me out of it. Like 21 Savage just came out with a new music video that dropped like a couple weeks ago and I watched it and I was like, everybody isn't lit. Like right. nobody's lit at all. Right. And I was just like, I see why they're doing it. And I was like, it was like, I was actually watching it with my buddy last night and he was like, what do you mean? This is sick. And I was just like, <laughs> for you, someone running around probably with a Komodo and well, not knowing like, anything. There's a guy leaning the... against the car, smoking a cigarette. And it's just like, yeah, he's outside and it's lit, but like, there's no, like there's no fill on his face. Right. Like everything is falling right. dead and it's just, yeah, it's annoying. Lights and lenses. If you're going to invest in anything like caveat, if you want to be a cinematographer, <laughs> Mm-hmm. Lights and lenses, rent camera bodies mm-hmm. right? all day because that's the technology that's always going to be evolving and stuff. And I, lenses and stuff, you can still. Use, I mean, I still use lenses from the the red Komodo wasn't out for a year. Now the Raptor's out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where it's like I, a, I haven't even heard of the Raptor. Oh well, it's I mean, the new first, it's 8K all one twenty. Blah blah blah. It's slightly bigger than the Komodo, and it also costs twenty five grand instead of six. Like they're very <laughs> different cameras. But like, if you were like, I want to have the cutting edge camera, it doesn't matter. It's going to be immediately rendered void, mm-hmm. either by the same company or by a different company. So it's like figuring out what you want to do. But like, this is why like I modded out those Leica lenses. Yeah. Right. Those yeah, Leica. That's perfect. Those Leica lenses are older than I am. Yeah. But they're still generating and producing killer images so it's like if i bought those lenses and i invested and i modded them out so that way they work as cinema lenses and and whatnot in a limited capacity right that's going to outlast the next five camera bodies that i buy yep right and i'll buy one and i'll sell it and i'll buy one and i'll sell it and i'll buy one and i'll sell it and i'll still have these lenses right and lights are the same way a light fixture is going to far outlast any sort of camera body that you're going to have i mean everybody's still using the already like 1k's and 10k's and all the other stuff too of course super Mm -hmm. old boys absolutely yeah Yeah, you just gotta wear your gloves the interesting thing about those leicas i just want to touch on too for people that don't know like with the whole serial number thing yeah yeah yeah. so like finding a a serial number with those leicas um below is it like the 33 yeah it's between yeah yada yada 3133 yeah yeah um finding your the the serial number that fits with that is like severely going to change the quality of your Leica lens if anyone's in the market for those um cuz below that number that we mentioned like the 313 yada 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 yeah. you can find it on the top of the lens there on the face of the lens but um below that is when I can't remember his name exactly but there is a right. gentleman who is building the Panavision Primos that are in the same or the glass or the coating on glass. the glass is the same as the Panavision Primos, which just kind of give it this like way more 
authentic look to it that warm is really, and dreamy yeah. without being like super washed out exactly so yeah. like you'll find like a lenses on ebay and what have you for resale that may look really cheap but the reason behind that is because they have different coatings on the on the optics themselves right. so the Leica lenses specifically when you're running into vintage or like in the market for vintage lenses are like it's just very interesting on what you have to look for and i'm sure there's other cases and other brands and what have you that have done that similar thing but i just remember researching them a little bit and finding that out and i was like huh so and you ended up picking up that whole kit and found yeah. the right cereals and everything and cinema right in time too because now they're impossible to find yeah like that was wild but if I'm, anyone knows where to find 19 millimeter <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. v2, v2 19 mil like are uh yeah dm it's not like 7,000 plus. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a sub 4K lens would be perfect for that. But yeah. No, it, you know, but that's that's the other thing is that like there are all of these like little sub worlds within the world that we have where it's like you get these geeks that are like super into vintage lenses, mm-hmm. right? So there's a guy I'm connected with on Instagram. His name is Julian. I can't remember what his last name is, but he is like the guru of all things vintage lenses and he like goes and buys full sets and tests them out and then like we'll flip them like if he doesn't you know whatever it's like he's done all the canon fds all the contact zeiss all the like r's all the whatever and it's really cool to see like how different lenses affect your image differently oh yeah so like all industry standard stuff primarily shot on re cameras right Mm -hmm. so we know the body going into it and the functionality of that body the thing that's going to bring that personality to whatever the project is, is going to be how we lens it, mm-hmm. right? So are we using, you know, the Cook S4s? Are we using Pancheros? Like, are we using, like, Zeiss? Well, like, where where are we going? Are we using the new RE? Uh, what are, what's, oh, what are the, the Dune lenses? Yeah, the new, yeah I was yeah. literally waiting to bring that up. The, yeah. yeah the, so like, LF RE Master Prime. And, like, what were your guys' thoughts on that? Dune? What, Dune? Fantastic. Yeah. Love oh, it. Pretty solid. Here, He's not a fan of it. But. Here, so so here, here's the thing. Nothing about the movie Dune from like a cinephile pinkies out perspective was interesting, mm-hmm. right? It was a very basic story. It follows a very basic premise, everything <clears> about it. Like there was nothing in the movie that I'm like, Oh, I, like from a story perspective, I did not see that. Co-. Like everything's very obvious. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I loved about that movie was when I watched the movie, I was like, this takes me back to being a kid and how I remember Hollywood blockbuster movies feeling like mm-hmm. this movie feels like, a big Hollywood movie. And I haven't felt that like, I love the superhero movies. Like that's, they're great. They're super entertaining. I get what you're saying for sure. But they don't have that it factor for me personally, where I'm just like, this is what a movie should be. Like a, a blockbuster before it was ruined. Exactly. Exactly. And Dune for me, the whole time I was like, the world felt huge. Granted, it's cause it's a, on an IMAX style sensor and oh. like displayed in that sense, but yeah, and I had it in the in the, the movie theater I've got in my house. Yeah. So like it's like yeah. it's like it's a very specific setting, but like even Interstellar didn't feel as big in terms of the universe that they built as Dune. Like mm-hmm. all of the sets, mm-hmm. like felt massive and everything. I was like, yeah, oh. the art the art in that movie was pretty on point, insane. But, and for those of you that don't know, like the LF re master primes we're talking about they custom made a whole set for that movie because of the re lf that just came out um because there's no lenses that can really properly fit that 
that sensor. size. Yeah. yeah, that sensor size. And my so. understanding is, is that they only made one set. Just one. Yeah. Yes, just the one. And so yeah. now there's one set being tossed around if you want to rent them. Yeah. And, yeah, Good so, luck. <laughs> and the reason I brought was going to bring that up was just because it kind of goes back into the whole entire gear versus your storytelling technique to right. where like, you know, like Dune was beautiful. Like I wasn't, like I wasn't let down in that aspect yeah, in any single way. But story-wise, like I was kind of, you know, I was trying to figure out what the climax was. I was waiting for something to happen and then the movie ended and then I was like, wait, isn't this like, this could have been a TV show. Things could have been slowed down a little bit. You so know? this is, so this is interesting. I've, I've had this conversation with a couple of people. Did you know going into it that it was half of the movie? I thought it was the first third of the movie. Is there three or just going to be two? Oh, I have no idea. But did yeah. you, but like when you went into watching yeah. it, you did know I, that it I was knew, like, I knew it was like a preface, just a part of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cause the people that I've talked to that didn't enjoy it as much as I did, they, they like, all went into it and they thought that it was just a movie. And then they were like, and then the thing ended. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's cause like mm-hmm. it's part, like they're Setting doing more. Up. Like there's more coming. Like, mm-hmm. like Zendaya had like four minutes of screen time. Yeah, like, seriously. Like, <laughs> like she was the whole trailer mm-hmm. and we got four minutes. Like, and then there was like a couple huge story holes in my opinion. Like the whole entire town was, Spoiler alert. The there whole entire town was completely destroyed because this guy wanted to get his wife back. And I was thinking, I was like, wait a minute. I don't think that would happen. Like, is that really how this, this story works? Is like a guy wanted to get his wife back. So then that's the whole catalyst of this movie like happening, you know? Right, like, right, right. But then, that, you know, he's gone. His wife's gone. That was all. That was, they're gone. Spoon fed. Goodbye. Yeah. You know? So I was right. like, did. Then, and so then I was trying to battle with myself. Is like, did they just rely on all these like tools that they were in like the IMAX camera and the the new lenses and everybody got geeked out about that and kind of lost sight of the storytelling or what? Well, and the other, and the other thing is I haven't read the novels. Like I didn't read the Dune novel. And when you're talking about an adapted work, like you're working with source material, source material. And so like you're also locked in at least to a certain degree with what the narrative is. So like, again, I haven't read the books. Don't know. But like if that's the plot line in the book and we're adapting a book, it's like that's valid. Then we're then we're sticking to that story, mm-hmm. and we're going to make it look as absolutely sick as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. Like, and by the way, everybody in that movie is gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. Like Oscar <laughs> Isaac, are you kidding Except me? Except for, uh, uh, whatever. No, who? Uh, Jason Momoa. Yeah. Okay. So I he was looks... going to bring that up too. <laughs> why did he shave in that movie? He well, looks why... like Brandon Fraser. Wilkin, Matt Wilkin pointed this out to me too. And I like, wasn't really into his character. Yeah. And he was like, well, it's cause they shouldn't have cast Jason Momoa. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, because he wasn't that character. He was Jason Momoa. Correct. So everybody saw him on screen as like Jason Momoa. It's like, right. Oh, here he is. When right. I really want to see like a bodyguard. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean? That's, right. that's fair. Yeah. It shouldn't have been that. Well, and, and the thing, and the thing is, is that like when you're talking to Jason Momoa's credit, he's a fine actor. Mm-hmm. He's not Javier Bardem. He's not Oscar Isaac. He's not Timothy Chalamet. It's like, a different category. You're talking yeah. about people that are like, Academy Award nominated and or winning actors. Mm -hmm. And then you have an action hero. Yep. Where it's like, he stands out to me by contrast. Exactly. Because he should be like, yeah, the dude that comes in like, shing, 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 like whatever. Exactly. Well, there's that scene too where like, you know, he's in that hallway and he kind of gets that look in his eye and he cocks a grin and like pulls out his swords or whatever and he runs into battle and I was like, there goes Jason Momoa doing Jason Momoa shit. Right, exactly. Like, let's see yeah. what he does. Right. You know. Right. Absolutely. The yeah. whole time though, I could not get Brandon Fraser out of my head when he was no shade. No shade to Brandon Fraser. <laughs> no shade. I yeah, mean, yeah. yeah, but he just looked very 
very similar. That's I mean, and 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 it's the same thing with like Dwayne the Rock Johnson, one of Dude, the highest, totally. one of the highest paid actors in Hollywood right now. Believe mm-hmm. it or not, I think it was yeah. eighteen. He was the the highest paid actor in all of Hollywood. Well, like you don't do. you don't go to see The Rock in a movie because of his range. Mm-hmm. You know, like you go to see The Rock in a movie because it's The Rock. Yeah, I was listening to this podcast the other day, and they brought up this point I'd never even thought of. And they were like, "There's a reason why Johnny Depp and Brad Pitt and Leo don't do interviews, and there's a reason why, and it's because they don't want you to see them as Leo and Johnny Depp. I want you to see me as like Jack Sparrow, or you know." scissor hands or whoever right, all these because right. like you can go in these different roles but if you know them too personally you're just going to be like oh that's just their personality or this and that but right. like, their range is completely boxed in if you know who they are you know yeah. what i mean it's kind of like uh blank not his name <clears throat> deadpool What's oh ryan reynolds ryan reynolds yeah. i was thinking of ryan gosling yeah, ryan thing. reynolds he's the same character in it's every ryan single Rosling. movie yeah now. absolutely yeah so. And, and 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 nothing wrong with ryan reynolds being ryan right ryan reynolds i yeah. love him he's yeah. great that's awesome but it's like you it's know, the same character. It's the same character, thing. right? Yeah. I mean, even even going kind of in a in a bigger sense, Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise. I think I've only seen one movie, which was Collateral with Jamie Fox, that he played a character that I was like, okay, this is not just Tom Cruise being Tom Cruise, mm-hmm. but like all the Mission Impossible stuff, yeah. Top Gun, Vanilla Sky, like all of the all of these movies that are like iconic Tom Cruise stuff. It's like you watch it because of him. Mm. And who he is and what he's contributing, and I put Jason Momoa in the same way. I love Jason Momoa. I love everything that he's in. Yeah. But again, I don't watch Jason Momoa to see a Meryl Streep. You know, <laughs> like like, totally like two that. two yeah. very different people. I was thinking too. It's like when I saw Jason Momoa on screen, all I could see was him with like his completely golden komodo <laughs> on his like on all of his tilted gear in his house, like on his gimbal. Like, so Instagram's Ooh. ruined you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh man. And then everybody was tearing him up on Reddit too for it because yeah. they were like. We're fucking waiting for like yeah. weeks on our Komodo, and Jason Momoa has a golden one just shipped to his house like that. Yeah. Fuck you, Red. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the Red is a brilliant marketing company. Like they're so good at marketing mm-hmm. and getting things in. Like Michael Bay's got his neon green one. Yep. And yeah. Everything Jason Momoa is like solid brass and like you know the like Leica that he has and stuff. Right. Pretty rad. Oh, super cool. Like mm-hmm. super jelly of all that stuff. Like that <laughs> stuff. Awesome. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm just hating. Yeah, I mean. you might be projecting. Um, but yeah, like you know, it's it, the other thing that's interesting is especially when you get into some of these manufacturers. Like Tilt is a great example where it's mm-hmm. like they will release a product and then release another product and then release another product and still haven't shipped the first two. <laughs> where it's like you'll have these people that are like, okay, you keep releasing stuff, but like, where is my thing that I pre-ordered? Right. Or like, where's the whatever? And then a lot of people I remember like when the Nano came out, like had a lot of troubleshooting issues and stuff yeah. like that too. But. Yeah. And I love the Nano. Like, the Nano's dope. I have it. I use mm-hmm. it all the time. It's great. But, like, I made a tutorial and put it on YouTube because of that very reason of, like, this is how you use it and this is how you break it down. And it's, like, it's still performing years later yeah. because, like, there's still a vacuum of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the DTAP power you have going through it, which makes it that much more powerful, too. You yeah. Mm-hmm. Micro USB to detap, and it like the voltage out of it is way more now, so it like well, cranks. One of the coolest things about that piece of kit is that it is a variable voltage. Mm-hmm. So like, you plug it into USB, you're getting five volts, but then you plug it into detap into universal power, and now you're getting close to fifteen. Yeah, you're humming fifteen. Yeah, so it's like I I remember back when I had like the Rokinon cinema lenses, my Nano would struggle with yeah. some of those because some of the some of the torque some is real tight. Tools. 
Well, like it was just tight. Like the motor, the motor like, didn't have the strength. Yeah, there wasn't know? enough torque in the motor to do it. And I, then I remember, like when I finally like got this cable that was USB micro to to detap, that all of a sudden like I could rip a finger off, and I was like, oh, fantastic! <laughs> yeah. Like this is great. Also, yeah. I have like a, a rubber wedding ring. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Oof! Don't get crushed. No, I've seen it happen. It's bad. Yeesh. Bad. Um, yeah, I, I do not. I'm not looking forward to wearing a ring. No, dude, get one of these, man. This is like yeah, this is like, t- probably, it's like yeah. thirty bucks. Get yeah. a ring tattoo, bro. That's how you know you're committed. No, but he says, what, uh, what happens if she leaves you? Come on, like, then you got this tattoo. Got to black out my whole hand. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna attend one real quick, and I'm just gonna grab another card because that's down. But yeah, I think we're. I mean, what are we at? Minute or hour twenty six? Um, I mean, we, we can hit some wrap up. Whatever yeah. you guys want. I'm, yeah. I'm chilling. Okay, it's up to you, Trey. Is it? Okay. Do you guys want to get food after this? I'm down. Yeah. I'm, I'm hungry. Let's do, yeah, yeah, I'm starting to get hungry. Yeah. But do what, do what you need to do, and then we can, we can wrap up and do whatever. Yeah, let's switch the card, and we can Chill. hit the decline. Oh, Chill. I like, I like this little box here. It's cool. John, cut this out. <laughs> yeah. I'll clap. Just. That spike. There you, there go. you go. Um. Okay, so we're back. The question that I have for you, Garrett, I mean, obviously I can go on some interesting questions like you know nightmare sets or this or that but I, one of the things i want to ask you is like how how do you stop yourself from getting too close to projects like sure. if you think you know this isn't necessarily working out or like not getting lost kind of like the example that i was just talking about with dune even though it's up in the air like at the end of the day when you export are you like just like this is great or like this is trash like how do you how do you determine that like is you just show it to Alex or what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I show it to Alex. If she's into it, we're done. Boom. That's um, the baseline of nice shirt right there. Absolutely. She is the entire <laughs> the brand. <gatekeeper. laughs> um, no, it's a great question. So especially when you're doing work for other people, right? Mm-hmm. And so in, in my line of work, well, in, in most lines of work, when there's money involved, you are doing work for other people. I have not had the good fortune in my life of somebody just throwing money at me and say, here, do whatever you want, right? It's always, there's always something attached to it. So part of it is staying humble in that the thing that I'm working on is not mine. The thing that I'm working on is theirs. They may be idiots. They may want something that's really stupid, but like the thing that I'm making is theirs. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it the best that I can. But at the end of the day, if I'm not happy with it, who cares? Like, yeah. that's not that's not what I'm here to do. What I'm here to do is to make sure that they're happy with it. I'm there to make it perform. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to push back if there's, like, particularly bad ideas where it's like, we want to do this thing. I hear what you're saying. What you want is this. So in order to do that, we need to do this, not, you know, like, so we mm-hmm. can pivot. You and know, do workshop those. them. Absolutely. But, like, the reason why directors and directors reels and like websites for directors always will have their own cuts of music videos or their own cuts of ads or their own cuts of whatever is because the final product that gets through focus grouping and gets through the producers and gets through the end client is rarely if ever the original vision Mm -hmm. right and that's the beauty of reels like like okay i'll give an example not a brand that i'm going to say a lot but we did an ad for you were on the shoot for uh, a gig economy app company. And so they had this huge shot list that we had to run through and we mm. had to do like th- just this insane amount of work to make this thing happen. Mm-hmm. And we had to do it on a pretty shoestring budget. Like we had to just kind of make this thing work with what we had. 
And I was pleased with the footage that we got. Trey shot it, did a fantastic job. Like we, like we really, given the circumstances, did insane stuff. It was a one day shoot, I believe. Yeah, one day shoot with a shot list of eighty eight shots. Eighty eight, yeah, that's what it was. It's a nightmare. Sounds fun. Nightmare. (laughs) Run and gun definition. Totally kidding. (laughs) So, so we we ship the drive off, right? So I hold on to a drive, ship the drive off. Always double back up everything. Always, always, Mm -hmm. always, always. So I held on to a drive, shipped drive off. They got it. They cut it together. They came back and they said, well, we, we are having trouble with the footage. I said, well, what do you mean you're having trouble okay. with the footage? And they were like, well, we've, we've actually never uh, edited red footage before. We don't know how to work with raw footage. Well, that should have been a conversation that we had before. You wanted a television broadcast spec ad that we're shooting the footage for. I'm shooting that in raw. Like, that's, that, that's what you want. Mm-hmm. So they then cut together an ad. And they didn't send it to me. I found out from somebody else who was on the shoot who then was friends with the actor who we had on the shoot who then had posted it on their social. Okay. That's how it always happens like that. So then I I see the ad, and it's dog shit. It's awful. Like, to the point to where it's like, I'm embarrassed that my name is associated with Mm -hmm. the thing that they ended up doing. Now, granted, they did all the creative. They did all the post. They did it all like my job was execution. Mm-hmm. So like at some point, again, with all this free time that I'm, I have, I'm going to cut my own version of it and that's going to live on my thing and it's going to be whatever and all that. And, you know, they'll probably like it and want it and whatever. That's fine. But like there's so many times where that kind of stuff happens where it's like I have to detach myself from the work knowing that they got what they wanted, even though. I'm very unhappy with them. We we delivered all the pieces of a puzzle. They just put it together in a very head scratching manner. Right. I'd say. Yeah. yeah, they put the jigsaw puzzle together. I gotta take a look at this. Yeah, I'll show you dinner. It's terrible. Yeah. It's awful. <laughs> it's truly terrible. I think they might have used all eighty eight shots. You know, and it was like a thirty second spot. Really? Oh, it's a nightmare. <laughs> They're like, we got all this. We might as well just use it, Absolutely. or else we're just wasting yeah. money, right? Yeah. Oh man. But yeah. So that, <clears throat> detaching yourself from the work and remembering that you're servicing a client because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you're not. They're not hiring you to make a video. Mm-hmm. They're hiring you to drive results and whatever that metric is. Mm-hmm. And so I can detach myself from the end product if that end product serves the goal that they hired me to achieve. Mm-hmm. Does it suck? Yeah, it hurts. Like, I, I, would I like everything that my name's on to be sweet? But no, like, Milk Boy exists out in the world. Like, whatever. Like, you know, th- those things <laughs> I still That's still a classic. <laughs> I, I just showed my students that last week. But yeah, Hell like, yeah. so like, you know, but you have to detach yourself from the work, mm-hmm. whatever that work is. Yeah. And I mean, also, we run into that too. I mean, there's projects where it's like the client loves it and we're like, this okay. is not something we would ever show. But yeah. like, you're right. At the end of the day, they're the ones that's paying the bills. And if they're happy, that's the final video. So, circling back to what we were talking about earlier, where like I, I leave a mistake in so that way they can correct it. Mm-hmm. This is actually one time that it, it didn't work. Like, I left a mistake oh, in and the client was like, this good. is dope. This is perfect. Change, change nothing. Let's go. Like, this is dope. And I was like, I was like, no, no, no. We actually, we should probably. Like, that was a, Let me, let me. Okay. I don't really like that. And they're like, no, what? That's the no. coolest part, dude. Uh, that only happened to me once, but it Jeez. did. And they like, they were sold on it, and they were like, this is great. And I was like, no, there's this thing. So now every time I think about that project, it's just like that one thing that I'm like, I left that in there to be removed, mm-hmm. and it's it made it in there. <laughs> there's yeah, 
stuff like that has happened too. I would say with our case, like sending us sending a client a rough with like base just rec 709 color and they're like it looks great we're gonna post it it's like right. and we're like yo no chill. Like, hold like, up like, <laughs> by the way to that point anytime you're sending roughs always put time code on it yeah yeah we've put, we've had to do like proofs and stuff as yeah. well for depending on the client on the relationship as yeah well, i don't i don't put watercolor or watermarks on my stuff i used to i don't anymore just because you just put time code on it That's cli- clients will be distracted by it but if you put time code on it you can give them a functional reason so the That's functional fair. reason i give them is that like hey if you have an edit just tell me the number that the edit happens at, whatever. Oh. But you can't post something that's got time code. I baked learned into something it. new today. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I never until I'm actually paid the final invoice on the project. I don't take time code off. Like it's just hmm. on there until the end. When I have my money, you get the project with no time code, and you can do whatever you want with it. Hell yeah, yeah, it's valid. Yeah. Well, we'll learn something new every day. Right. Um, that means it's a good day. Um, okay, I think we're kind of wrapping up here. Cool. Um, if there's anything else you want to say, Garrett, before you start plugging, if there's anything else you want to talk about, or just let's go get some food. Yeah, buy lights, buy lenses. Don't worry about cameras. It's 2021. All cameras are great. Mm-hmm. Um, follow me on Instagram and YouTube. It's just my name at Garrett Salmons. That's it with two T's and two M's. Basically, all consonants are doubled. Boom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and two R's, right? Two R's, two T's, and Salmons with an S at the beginning and end. Two M's in the middle. I think the N is the only consonant that I have that isn't doubled. Hell you yeah. looking to get that changed. <laughs> every, everything Simmons. is doubled out. Yeah. 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 And at this point, you guys already know who we are. But one of the things that actually hasn't happened yet, and we're still trying to encourage that, is send us an email, askdropcast at gmail.com. If you guys have anything you want to talk about or anything like that, I mean, we've got a list of guests ahead of us, but it still would be nice to hear from you guys. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, right it. on, guys. Yeah, I appreciate you listening. And, uh, and thanks, Garrett, for coming in, too. Yeah, thanks for busy, having me. So. Yeah. This was fun. Yeah. This was cool. Nice little chat. Talk yeah. about some gear, relevant stuff. But Absolutely. Again, thanks, guys, for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.